first time in my life I didn't print the sermon out. So you young folks, I'm trying. All right, yeah, so uh, Adbusters, uh, one of my favorite websites. Uh, it's like, give me a break, like it's not that hard. Um, I'm well into my fourth decade of teaching. Uh, as my friends retire and are replaced with little kids, I've sharpened my focus on essential questions and enduring understandings. Likely, um, got to get the right distance here. Uh, likely, I am best known for by my former students for yelling, "Fear God and keep His commandments." Get out of here! I love you guys. I feel a bit ambivalent. Um, I would prefer to be remembered for yelling love God and keep his commandments. But hey, growing up in the conservative Mennonite conference has given me a lifetime of baggage to discard while I hang on to a few gems that they gave me. As I move towards Jesus' dogma of love, I've renewed my focus on exploring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within us. In Matthew 5, Jesus describes the kingdom of God with the Beatitudes. For decades, I started my teaching day with loving God. Thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray we open our hearts so we can learn of your eternal nature and that we open our minds so we can understand how your world works. I pray the things we learn today we would use to build your kingdom. But about a month ago, as I woke up one morning listening to Lee Camp um, on No Small Endeavor, which I think just got discontinued from WKSU. It wasn't on the last two weeks. Um, so we're going to have to start a campaign to get it reinstated. Uh, Michael Buddy, a Catholic priest, was being interviewed, and he reminded me that the building, uh, that the kingdom of God is already here, and we just need to live into it. I'm 61 years old, and I'm still trying to figure it out. So now I end my prayer with, I pray that the things we learn, we use to recognize and walk in God's kingdom. In recent chapel, Rosedale Bible College President Jerry Miller warned our students that uh, they were missing the kingdom of heaven because they were distracted by consumerism. I appreciate those of you who have bought me nothing for my birthday for the last several years. Buy Nothing Day was created by artist Ted Dave and was promoted by magazine and nonprofit Adbusters. Um, Buy Nothing Day encourages people to not shop on Black Friday following Thanksgiving, which often coincides with uh, those of you who wanted to do birthday shopping for me in November. I get, hey, Darren, you can in there too. There. Um, grow, growing up in the conservative conference, um, simple living was encouraged, although not always followed. As a high school student I, at Central Christian in the 1970s, I studied Ron Sider's Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. In 2005, as a, as a colleague with many of my former teachers, I read and discussed affluenza in which the author compares consumerism with influenza. We have swollen, swollen expectations and rashes of bankruptcy. In Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? The average Whoops. North American Oh. 
The average North American consumes five times more than a Mexican, 10 times more than a Chinese person, and 30 times more than a person from India. We are the most voracious consumers in the world, a world that could die because of the way we North Americans live. Give it a rest. November 26 is buy nothing day. So uh, that ad, um, most uh, CNN is the only uh, station that played it. Uh, it was uh, too radical for MTV. Uh, gangster rap wasn't, but uh, this ad was. Um, and uh, back in the 2000s, I think it came out and um, kind of connected me to Buy Nothing Day. I think uh, it would be interesting today because I think what has happened is that that consumer globalization has shifted that consumerism to other parts of the world and maybe some of us in America are feeling like we're, we've been left behind. Um, so instead of living simply, um, we've got elites living like pigs all over the world. Um, in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community, Dr. King names the triple evils of society, war, poverty, and militarism. No, uh, war, poverty, and racism. Half a century later, these evils linger and continue to erode our world. While we've heard, all, we've heard of MLK, few of us know that Dr. King's mentor and architect of the nonviolent civil rights movement is James Lawson, who grew up in Maslin, Ohio. In Dr. King's first book, Stride Towards Freedom, King describes his philosophy of nonviolence with six principles. This is a sermon for another day. Look at the last two points. Nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. Nonviolence believes that the universe is on the side of justice. I really struggle with that last one. My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as is, my kingdom is not from here. Historically, much of Christendom has attempted to make Jesus another violent ruler of earthly kingdoms. One of the gems of my conservative Mennonite upbringing is the story of Dirk Willems. I first learned of this story as a child when reading my grandfather's Martyr's Mirror. We had no cell phones, iPads, or TV. The etching in the stories of the Martyr's Mirror shaped my view of the world. The Mennonites and the Amish immigrants that settled in Wayne, Holmes, and Stark County brought with them two books, the Bible and the Martyr's Mirror. These were stories of followers of Jesus who refused to think like the larger society around them. In 1569, Dirk Willems uh, was arrested in Holland for being rebaptized into a nonviolent church with the, who refused to practice the state religion. Williams, wanting to live, escaped and was hotly pursued by a thief catcher, an image I have from later in my childhood, the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Anybody remember him? They're scary dreams. 
Uh, after Williams was safely across the frozen pond, the thief catcher broke through, uh, perceiving uh, that the thief catcher would drown. Williams returned and saved him. The thief catcher wanted to let him go, but the burgomaster or the mayor of the town reminded the thief catcher of to consider your oath. Dirk Williams was returned to captivity and put to death by burning at the stake. On January 25, 2016, during the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, Pope Francis asked Protestants and other Christian churches for forgiveness for the, the Catholic persecution of people like Dirk Willems. It seems the past two millennium, the church have often ignored Jesus' teaching of peace, love, and hope, creating a distorted institutional church theology, much like Dirk Williams' story, where the Bur Burgomaster reminds the chief thief catcher to obey his oath and causing future generations to apologize for their distortions of Christ's teaching. Two other uh, obvious points in history when the church gets it wrong is in the 300s when Constantine militarizes Christianity using it to unify Rome and creates what becomes rationalized as the just war. Later in history Pope Urban II tries to unify Europe with the Crusades turning war into a spiritual discipline or sacrament. Much like Dirk Willems, uh, there were those who remained faithful to Christ's teaching during these times. The stories coming out of World War I and II largely shaped the lives of my parents' generation. I remember my mother being startled when a plane would fly over. The Japanese attack at Pearl Harbor and the German Blitz in London caused her and her siblings to hide whenever they heard a plane. During World War I, most Amish and Mennonites refused to fight and suffered much persecution and even torture from the community they lived in and the U.S. government. I recall stories of church members uh, who were put in sweat boxes in the desert and beat up and intimidated during World War I. Uh, church leaders were proactive and went, into, went to the U.S. government setting up and funding civilian public service or CPS, so church members who were drafted could serve our country while living out Jesus' teachings of peace, love, and hope, working in agriculture, hospitals, or other public services. During World War II and the Korean War, this alternate service transformed the church as young boys lived in camps throughout our country and overseas. During this time, I heard stories of sacrifice and service. I especially enjoyed listening to stories from one of my early pastors, John Gingrich, who after the war went to Germany on a cattle boat and helped to rebuild Germany, turning our enemy into our ally. People like John came back to our communities with an understanding that the world was much bigger than the little small towns they came from. I was in grade school during the Vietnam War. It was then that I realized local boys went off to war and did not come back. The young people in my church uh, chose to do alternate service and went all over the world again. Uh, these are the people who greatly shaped my view of how Christians respond to war, respond during times of war. Then the world I was living in shifted. According to the CDC, we lost 7,317 people on 
and the years following. After the 9-11 terrorist attack on New York and the Pentagon, we entered into 20 years of war of vengeance in which our nation sacrificed 15,263 Americans, over double the deaths of the 9-11 attacks. While the country immediately came together, it soon shifted. Moving from the 200 years of stated foreign policy of defensive wars to one of preventative wars in which we would strike first. In addition, we did not see the bodies of the soldiers coming home, nor were we asked to sacrifice. In fact, we were asked to fight the terrorists by, go shop, by going shopping and keeping the economy going. As we work with Congress in the coming year to chart a new course in Iraq and strengthen our military to meet the challenges of the 21st century, we must also work together to achieve important goals for the American people here at home. This work begins with keeping our economy growing. And I encourage you all to go shopping more. Militarism and consumerism has infiltrated our communities and our struggles to control our hearts. Dirk Willems knew that according to Jesus, the kingdom of God has come and he chose to live that way. Since the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel, about 1,200 Israelis have been killed. Since Israelis' military response on Gaza, it's likely that over 30,000 Palestinians have been killed, 10,000 of which are women and children. Shortly after the Vietnam War era, some of my friends traveled to Israel and lived in the kibbutz. There, Maynard made friends with Israelis and Palestinians. On October 7 attack, Israeli peace activists like Vivian Silver and Haman uh, Katzmanar were killed by the Hamas terrorists. These people recognized that they cannot destroy your enemy with violence, yet it was the violence of their society which destroyed their lives. As Israel continues to bomb Gaza, many Palestinian peace activists have also died. Another erroneous event in the church was the support of Hitler's rise in power in Germany, which how ironic, like Hitler's goal was to eradicate um, the Jewish nation and he could be responsible for the nation of Israel. Like violence doesn't work. In 1942, Lutheran minister and German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer pondered how his society could become so misled to support Hitler as he demonized the minorities in Germany. In his letter, after 10 years, Bonhoeffer reflects on Hitler's rise to power and expresses his theory of stupidity, which he believes is the greater threat than malice or evil. Oh, sorry. There's my uh, stats on Israel and Gaza. In the darkest chapter of German history, during a time when incited mobs threw stones into the windows of innocent shop owners and women and children were cruelly humiliated in the open, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a young pastor, began to speak publicly against the atrocities that the regime had produced. After years of trying to change people's minds, Dietrich Bonhoeffer came home one evening and his own father had to tell him that two men were waiting in his room to take him away. 
In prison, Bonhoeffer began to reflect on how his country of poets and thinkers had turned into a collective of cowards, crooks and criminals. Eventually, he concluded that the root of the problem was not malice, but stupidity. In his famous Letters from Prison, Bonhoeffer argued that stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice, because while one may protest against evil, it can be exposed and prevented by the use of force. Against stupidity, we are defenseless. Neither protests nor the use of force accomplish anything here. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict a stupid person's prejudgment simply need not be believed, and when they are irrefutable, they are just pushed aside as inconsequential, as incidental. In all this, the stupid person is self-satisfied and, being easily irritated, becomes dangerous by going on the attack. For that reason, greater caution is called for when dealing with a stupid person than with a malicious one. If we want to know how to get the better of stupidity, we must seek to understand its nature. This much is certain. Stupidity is, in essence, not an intellectual defect, but a moral one. There are human beings who are remarkably agile intellectually, yet stupid, and others who are intellectually dull, yet anything but stupid. The impression one gains is not so much that stupidity is a congenital defect, but that, under certain circumstances, people are made stupid, or rather, they allow this to happen to them. People who live in solitude manifest this defect less frequently than individuals in groups, and so it would seem that stupidity is perhaps less a psychological than a sociological problem. It becomes apparent that every strong upsurge of power, be it of a political or religious nature, infects a large part of humankind with stupidity, almost as if this is a sociological psychological law where the power of the one needs the stupidity of the other. The process at work here is not that particular human capacities, such as intellect, suddenly fail. Instead, it seems that under the overwhelming impact of rising power, humans are deprived of their inner independence and, more or less consciously, give up an autonomous position. The fact that the stupid person is often stubborn must not blind us from the fact that he is not independent. In conversation with him, one virtually feels that one is dealing not at all with him as a person, but with slogans, catchwords and the like that have taken possession of him. He is under a spell, blinded, misused, and is abused in his very being. Having thus become a mindless tool, the stupid person will also be capable of any evil, incapable of seeing that it is evil. Only an act of liberation, not instruction, can overcome stupidity. Here, we must come to terms with the fact that in most cases, a genuine internal liberation becomes possible only when external liberation has preceded it. Until then, we must abandon all attempts to convince the stupid person. Bonhoeffer believed that we need both 
external and internal freedom to achieve liberation. External freedom is breaking away from oppressive systems and ideologies. Challenge the status quo. Seek alternative perspectives. Step outside of the narrow mindset and explore diverse viewpoints. Internal freedom, take personal responsibility for your thoughts, beliefs, and actions. Cultivate your own independent thinking. Question yourself when everyone around you holds a particular belief, but you have doubts. Critically examine those beliefs, question their validity, and form your own conclusion based on reason and evidence. In Matthew, John the Baptist reminds us, as we begin our eternal lives, recognize that the kingdom of heaven is here. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Do you see the kingdom of God around you, or have you become a product of our society? The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is within you. Thank you, Roger and Mickey, for your faithful witness for the kingdom of God.